0: It's there you'll find connection, and there where you'll find more peace, obedience, respect, and joy. So what are you waiting for? We know those behaviors aren't going to go away on their own. Let's dive in. Hey there, and welcome to the Chaos to Connected podcast. Today I want to share more of a personal episode with you, which I don't do a lot of, um, but it is my oldest son's, or my first son, I guess, his birthday this week. And it. I was just really reflecting on when he was born. And I thought it might be fun to share his birth story on this podcast. And I think along with his birth story, something that he has continually taught me from the day he was born, pretty much. And it just kind of been this lesson that continues to be woven throughout his life that has led me actually to this place. Um, if you don't know why I started this Chaos to Connected podcast, why I kind of do the work that I do, you can actually go to my story and the Chaos to Connected, Connected, um, like how it all started. I have an episode about that, so I won't talk too much about it, but it is largely related to my oldest son. And so I'm just going to dive in. I did not prepare any notes. <laughs> just you know, outline. I'm just going to wing it. So <clears throat> um obviously he was my first child and at 37 and like, I don't know, 3 days I think. I had gotten up was going to get ready for work, so I at the time I was working Like 32 hours in the clinic. And then I also had picked up just a part time in home occupational therapy job just to fill in the gaps. I felt like, you know, we didn't have any kids at the time. We were newly married. There was no reason that I needed a day off in the middle of the week. And so for a long time, I had been doing both jobs and I continued doing it through my pregnancy. And so on this particular day, I was going into my home visits. And so I got up, I was about to get ready, and all of a sudden, you know, I recognized that something was happening. Um, It wasn't like, to be honest, I actually Googled what your water breaking should should be like because you always hear it's like this huge gush and that was not the case for me. But at the same time, I was like, well, I know I did not pee my pants, you know? And so then I called the clinic um, because for my first son's birth, I had opted to um, deliver at the hospital where I worked. And I just felt like I felt safer. You know, if something happened, I would be right there sort of a thing. Um, my thoughts have changed a lot since then, um, but that'll be a different story. And anyway, so I called them. They said to come in and check and make see if it was, you know, amniotic fluid or not. So in the meantime, my husband was already at work and he just so happened to be working like at least an hour away. So I think I either called or texted him, I honestly don't remember, and um, just told him that I was going in. And luckily, one of his bosses who was normally, I think, at the office was at the job site and was going to be leaving soon to come back um, to, you know, where their like home base office is, which is much closer (laughs) than where he was. And so luckily, you know, sometimes I just look back and see all the little ways that God had his hand in things because who knows? I mean, we would have made something happen, but it just worked out so well. Um, and so then I had to call my mom cause I'm like, well, everybody else that I know is working. How am I going to get there? Because they obviously don't want you driving in case you are in labor. And so I called my mom and she was actually just about to teach at, um, a local college. And, she picked up the phone. and was like, Oh, hi. You know, just our normal conversation. I was like, I-, I think my water broke. And she was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know. Oh my gosh. And she just was like, was like, it's okay, but I need you to can like, can you come get me and bring me in? And they were all like, Oh, go of course. And you know, she's like, okay, I'll be right there. You know, just kind of like more intense about it. I'm just like, it's totally fine. Like I don't even feel any contractions. I am just a very calm person. And so, you know, we got there and they tested me, said it was amniotic fluid. And so they admitted me. Um, I had lots of intervention. I just truly did not prepare. Like we did a birthing class, but I truly don't think that's enough. Um, I, I didn't read any books. I just kind of went with what I was taught and walked in blindly basically. And I didn't know, like I, I always knew I didn't want to have a medicated birth. Like I just didn't want to have an epidural for some reason. That was just a thought that I had always felt strongly about, but I didn't do any work really to prepare for what to do instead, you know? Um, so We got into our room and I wasn't like really having any contractions much yet. They wanted to come break my water, which again, at that point, I didn't realize that is not something that needed to be done. Um, And so, of course, I was like, okay, just kind of going along with what I was told. And they had to do it like three or four times because it just wasn't, I don't know, just wasn't working. And, you know, everything picked up. Things were going along. Um, I still held firmly to the fact that I did not want to have an epidural. Um, I think mostly like thinking back, I think mostly it was because I had heard people talking about how it slowed their labor and I was like, I don't want to slow this down. Like, I just don't want to get going here. Um, at some point I had to get Pitocin cause things weren't picking up enough. And I honestly can't tell you the difference between, contractions from Pitocin and contractions without because I also learned a lot more before my second birth and learned how to manage pain in a much different way. So I don't really know if it's, you know, because people talk about Pitocin contractions are just like so intense and just different. Um, And they were intense. But again, I don't know if it's because of the fact that I learned more. I learned about what birth actually, like what's actually happening and how to help manage my pain. And I just remember like laying in this hospital bed and honestly feeling like I was on the exorcist, like just my whole body. Like I was just, my muscles were all contracting. I was just so tense. I couldn't relax. And I remember having this conversation with the nurse at the bedside being like, cause she was like, do you want an epidural? And I was just like, well, I just, I don't want it to stall labor and on and on. And she's like, you know, I really just don't think it will. I think it's going to help you relax. And so eventually I was like, okay, I'll do it. I was like, can you get them in here right now? Basically, like I had made up my mind, let's, (laughs) let's get this going here. And so it went fine. I, um, I could finally like relax my body. And then about 45 minutes later, I was like, I'm really starting to feel pain again. What? This isn't supposed to happen. I was just like dead set in my mind. Like I am not supposed to feel pain here. I got the epidural and I was feeling pain and they checked me and sure enough, I had gone from like a six to a 10 in within that 45 minutes because my body could finally relax. And so, um, you know, I, I had the baby, pushed him out. That was fine. I could still feel when contractions were coming. I could still feel my legs, um, I don't know, so I'm not sure how much they gave me or whatever. Maybe everybody responds differently. I do remember feeling itchy afterwards and stuff like that. And one of the nurses I had, I was really grateful for because she, I was just starting to get into essential oils, and so I brought this like little box of oils that I had, and I had no idea how to use them. Another way I did not prepare. in a diffuser. And she would come in and be like, oh, this would be a really good oil to put in the diffuser. And okay, now you're going to start pushing. So how about we put some of this in the diffuser and you're feeling itchy. How about you use peppermint? So that was really great. Um, cause I just really didn't know anything about oils except that I wanted to use them. And so then, um, he came out, they put him on me, everything was going really well. Um, my parents were able to come in, Uh, He was born at 1am. So my brother and sister had been sitting in the waiting room, but they eventually left (laughs) So I felt kind of bad. They were just like sitting there All afternoon and they couldn't see me. (laughs) I never came out And they left before he was born Um, so my parents came in some and then they left because my dad had to get up just a couple hours later to leave for work So i'm sure he didn't even go to bed, but um It was all blissful and great and then um all of a sudden I don't know. They were saying like he was grunting and they didn't know if that was like his transition from the womb or if there was some respiratory thing occurring. And I didn't notice any of that. Like when he was laying on me, he was fine. And so they were talking about this when he was away from me, you know, and they put him in the little bassinet thing and do all the measurements. And so looking back, you know, it's just one of the lessons in, advocating. Like I wish that I would have stood up a little bit harder and been like, we'll give him back to me. He's fine with me sort of a thing. Um, But instead they ended up, they um, had put a CPAP on him for like 10 minutes to see if it helped. And apparently it didn't. And so they said that he needed to be taken to the NICU. And there is literally nothing like having your little baby taken from your arms and like removed from the room and then them saying, okay, why don't you go recover for a couple hours and then you can go see him? And that also really bothered me. Like, I know that they need to set up and check him out and everything, but it just felt like with this whole experience that they were almost like trying to keep me away, (laughs) which I'm sure is not true, but I had experience with this NICU, um, and I did not like the experience that I had. I did not feel like the way the nurses that I had interacted with, most of them. Um, I did not think from an OT standpoint that they would do feeding appropriately and just lots of things. And so I was already, you know, here I am. I just had my baby just taken away from me, like so upset about it. And then I'm thinking, like, I know what they do here and I don't like it. It's not like my preference. It's obviously not anything like... Bad, it's just as an OT, there are certain ways that we recommend feeding children and just um, positioning and all this stuff. And I just knew going in that they didn't do things the way that I was trained and felt was right. And so I felt like we were already in this uphill battle. And so eventually, you know, we like we go up there, and I feel like the whole time they were almost like searching for things to be wrong. And this is where um, the journey in advocating and that lesson that he has continually taught me from the time he was born really started um, because there were things that they would say they were going to do or ask, and I was just kind of like, why? Like, for example, the reason that he was making that noise was because he had popped like a sack in his lungs. This is something that they said goes away on its own. Like, you don't need to intervene unless, obviously, things get worse. But generally speaking, it just clears up, heals up, whatever. And so, I remember, like, I don't know, maybe the second day, they're like, oh, we need to take him for an x-ray and make sure that things are okay. And in that moment, I'm thinking, like, well, why? Because you said it's going to heal on its own, and none of his respiratory signs have changed. But I also didn't say anything. I was just like, okay. And so it was almost like shameful because here I am, like this pediatric OT working with families who have children who are vulnerable to these instances and helping them learn to advocate for their own kid. And I couldn't even do that. I just went along with what they recommended because I was still in this thought wall, like why would they have me do something that's unnecessary, you know? And I have learned a lot since then. Um, And the other thing that happened is um, he had missed a feeding because he was sleeping. He was tired. They had kept him up all night, you know, from the time he was born and by the time he got to the NICU and all the things that they did that he missed a feeding. And so for some reason, they were like, we need to check his blood sugar, which he was nursing perfectly fine. There was no issues, and it was low. So from then on, we had to check his blood sugar, you know, frequently throughout the day. And I just kept thinking, like, well, of course his blood sugar is low because he hasn't eaten. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, why is that? And um, I also remember them telling me because I they came in and said, well, how is he? How's he eating or something? One of the times, and I was like, oh, good. He nursed for forty minutes. And they're like, oh no, that's too long. And in my mind, I'm like, yes, I know that when a baby's in the NICU, if they're eating for like 30 minutes is a good stopping point because generally speaking, they're much littler. They it's, they fatigue much quicker. Um, but I'm thinking like, you also need to think individual care here. Like my child is like, he was born past 37 weeks. He was not premature. There was no other concern And so, it was just another, like, I want to get out of here right now, sort of a feeling. And um, so, we just continued on. We kept, you know, I kept praying that things would change. At one point, they were like, okay, if his blood sugar is above this number, then you can go home. And so, I just remember, like, sitting there, like, praying, like, please let it be this. And he shot that number out of the roof. Like, it was so in the normal range. And I just want to be like, see, I told you he doesn't have a problem. And so I think the biggest thing that I wanted to share here today is that often as moms, we have this intuition that God has given us for what our children need, or maybe we need to question something or clarify something. And I just want to encourage you that there's nothing wrong with that and to just do it. Like, you have nothing to lose. Um, And I think we can feel a lot of shame when we don't, or guilt when we don't. I think looking back, I still sometimes feel guilty for the things that I just agreed to, because I felt like, well, they should know, like, whether this is necessary or not, and if it's not necessary, why would they be doing it? And so, I think that if something, some alarm goes off in you, whether you end up not doing the thing or not, like it's still worth it to be advocating. And I think this is something that has continued through his little life is just, you know, learning more about eating whole foods and lots of other things that you come across in parenting, trying to have more non-toxic products and learning about what's in them and advocating for different things and... Just the, you know, even his, at his four month, yeah, four month, um, checkup with the pediatrician and I had handpicked this pediatrician because, you know, I worked in a pediatric clinic. So we got a lot of referrals from doctors and, um, this just happened to be like one of the doctors that we kind of felt as a clinic was really great. And at our four month checkup, she was like, okay, um, you can start letting him cry it out now. When you know, when he's sleeping, and you know, um, I know like it can be hard as moms sometimes to do that. And you know, this isn't against you if you if you believe in that, but um, just kind of what happened. And so she was telling me how one of her families her the mom just left for a few hours, and the dad just you know, took care of it. And I kind of like nodded along. and again, this is another place where I'm just like learning to grow in advocacy because. I was really angry, to be honest, because as an occupational therapist, I know a four-month-old baby cannot regulate itself. Um, it just and and why do we need to leave our babies to cry alone in a room when they're four months old? Why would we want to do that? We don't understand what's wrong. Maybe they're scared. Like if you are this tiny little baby, that is. Like with your parent all the time, you're a safe person, and suddenly they don't come back to get you when you cry. That's not teaching them to calm down and go to sleep on their own. That's teaching them that you're not coming, and so it just really aggravated me. And I went home, and I was like, not confident in my, um, in my intuition as a mom. And so I was like, well, I'm going to find research for it because (laughs) that means it's true then, you know? And there was just all this research about how it's, you know, harmful to your baby. It's so stressful for them to be doing that. And I got so angry that I wanted, like my idea was, I was like, I'm going to print off all this research and I'm just going to send it to her. And I was also angry because as a practitioner, I'm thinking, well, I'm not really supposed to be... Doing anything that is not within 10 years of research. Like, if it is outside of that, we technically consider that to be basically irrelevant. Like, that is not something we go by in practice. And the things that she was sharing with me were definitely past 10 years. And it just really frustrated me that, you know, I know doctors are busy and I know they're expected to have like a broad overview of everything. But just this like rote repeating of, things that she tells every one of her parents just really bothered me and so we left <laughs> I, I didn't go back there again I never sent the research articles um, but I just decided like this is this isn't gonna work for me and the thing that I really wanted to get to and share today because I think it's really important in the way that we are parenting even as our kids get older is the fact that I really, um, was bothered to a huge extent about my child leaving me and going to the NICU about my experience in the NICU um and yet I just felt like you know I had been working with so many families so um, in the home visits I worked with kids who were from birth to three and they were more medically complex immunocompromised like they it was more of a medical model just in the home so not through schools not an education based model but like you would take your child to a clinic, it was similar. I just came to them because of their medical background. And so I, you know, the kids that I worked with, most of them had very intense, whether it was a birth or NICU stays, things that their parents had to endure. And so while I recognized that this was a challenge for me and I didn't like it, and every time I thought of the experience for probably at least two years, I was very angry um, and upset by it. Um, I still kind of felt like, like I've always been more of a positive person and I just felt like, well, I, you know, there was nothing serious wrong with him. We got to go home after a few days. Everything was fine. And I didn't realize how much that experience impacted me. Like, I think back now and recognize, you know, postpartum, I would be obviously home with him. I stayed home with him for three months. And there were days where I literally felt like it was too hard to get off the couch to do the laundry. And after having my second child, which was way different, I am just like, I mean, I must have had, I don't know, a traumatic response and life just felt really hard and i didn't recognize that at the time but i held on to all of these experiences that truly were traumatic for me um but at the same time was like well i have my baby and he's fine and he's healthy and i've worked with so many families where that's not the case for them and basically like i should kind of just be thankful for the while i've had to endure more than a lot of people I've also endured less than a lot of people that I have experienced life with. And so I don't think I ever really processed how, I mean, you know, when I told my family or close friends or whatever about it, obviously I said I was angry about it and I didn't, I didn't like how things happened, but I didn't understand how, um, that affected me like to the core. And going through this parenting style and the training that I did and understanding how important it is to validate feelings. Like, you know, I always have validated other people's feelings, but truly to recognize that our feelings, no matter what they are, are valid. It doesn't matter what other people's experiences are. We're not comparing my story to yours. We're comparing my own feelings to my own feelings. And I think that's really important as we go into, you know, trying to parent in a connected way with our child's big feelings and as they get older and recognizing that it doesn't matter if this other child doesn't behave this way or this other child doesn't have the feelings about this. It's about our child's perception about their experience and it's okay if they look very similar or, you know, maybe you don't feel like something is as bad. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're really struggling, but you're like, well, I get to stay at home with my kids, so I shouldn't really be bothered by it. Or you work out of the home and you're feeling guilty about working out of the home. But, you know, there's just all these different instances where we can talk away our feelings and that's exactly what we're doing. We're talking away our feelings, we're bearing them, and we're invalidating how we feel because, that's just what we have grown accustomed to doing. That's, you know, how we've been trained in our behavior and how our behavior was manipulated as we were growing up, um, how the systems of school and just all the things kind of train us in this way. And we just don't recognize it. And I think that's the biggest piece is it doesn't necessarily matter, you know, what happened in the past, how you were raised, but it matters how we move forward. So, I would just encourage you if there's something in your life where you have just felt like, you know, whether it's frustration or sadness or grief or whatever and you've been talking yourself away from it because, you know, the person down the road is, you know, worse off but they're still thankful. You know, you can be thankful and have feelings and validate them and process them and I think... We just really need to understand that, yes, um, a large part of this podcast is talking about how we can support our kids through their big feelings, but we also need to do the same for ourselves because when we don't, that can manifest physically in our body like it did for me. I went on this long (laughs) downhill spiral of, um, you know, I just didn't sleep enough. I was trying to, I was getting into, um, you know, like I said, healthier type cooking and stuff. And so I wanted Miles, my, my oldest, to have all homemade baby food and I was making it all my own. And I just kind of felt like if nobody sees that I'm struggling, then I must be doing fine, which sounds ridiculous. But it was just like, well, if is stepping in and saying, you look like you could use some help, then I must be fine. And so I think just the mindset um, from the beginning was always, it's not that bad. It could be worse. And invalidating my feelings and my experience. And I think that's the case for a lot of us in motherhood is whether it's when your baby is born or as they're getting older, it's really important that we are recognizing that we have feelings as moms too. And sometimes we can feel really guilty about those feelings, but it doesn't matter whether we feel guilty about them or not. They need to be processed. And so I hope that if you are feeling stuck in this way, that you will take some time and figure out Maybe you need to talk to somebody, maybe you can journal, maybe you can find some other means, go on a walk and talk it out loud, but really allowing your brain to process through whatever is stuck because until you do, it's going to be stuck and it's going to affect all areas of your life. And I know that to be true now. And so whenever somebody says something like, you know, they're experiencing this, but <coughs> got my little sidekick here. Um, but they are, but they should be thankful because it could be worse. I (coughs) always just remind them that it doesn't matter if it could be worse. Your feelings are still your feelings. And so I hope you can take that away today that your feelings are valid no matter what anybody else is going through. And it really is important to take the time to recognize what you're feeling and process through that. So it doesn't become something that is stuck in your subconscious that, begins to have a ripple effect into all areas of your life real quick before you go if you felt encouraged and inspired by listening to this show i'd love for you to leave a rating or review over at apple Podcasts so we can spread the word to help other mamas feel less alone and find beauty in the behaviors you can also take a screenshot of this episode share it over on your instagram stories and tag me at kaylee josiah and we'll all do a little happy dance together i'd love nothing more than to cheer you on along this journey This work is so hard, but don't forget, God has not only called you to it, but he has equipped you for it. Now go get connected. I'll see you next week.